Hello and welcome to another edition of Scarves Around the Funnel, a podcast dedicated to Edinburgh's number one club, the heart and soul of Edinburgh, as Scott Wilson would call them, and that is of course the Jambos. I'm Laurie Dunsire and as always joined by that man, Mark Donaldson. Good evening to you and good afternoon from me. Yeah, this this time difference is always a bit of a pain and unfortunately, Mark, you were hoping that by lunchtime on Saturday you'd be enjoying hearts having returned to winning ways, but it didn't quite work out that way and you're, you're still waiting. I'm still recovering from listening to 90 minutes on a mobile phone. I thought you did very well given the circumstances. <laughs> um, it's... It's interesting. I mean, we'll, we'll we'll get straight into to match action and straight into the St Mirren game, of course, on Saturday. And yeah, you mentioned um, th- I did have to broadcast through a mobile phone, and I may have mentioned more than once or twice the irony that we were in the simple digital arena, <laughs> which had not even an internet connection for us. I would say that there there were internet connections. Just the BBC had one. Although, to be fair, the BBC had one working out of three options. Sky had one, and I think Clyde had a working line. But uh, Little Old Hearts were given a dud line, so we had to do it through a phone call made on my phone uh, using Apple headphones, um, which is a bit different. And both sides were in very poor runs of form. I, I mean, St Mirren's run of form was so bad, it makes Hearts run of form look quite good recently. They had went 13 games without a win, but it's a joke that Hearts fans will make. Is like, well, you're looking for that first win in a while. Don't worry, Hearts are in town soon. Um, and I have to say, even given our poor run, four games without a goal, I just thought this is the game we need just now against a, a St Mirren side who are really struggling. Um, obviously, as it transpired, what St Mirren needed was a game against us. And that's what they got. Uh, they'd only scored one goal in their previous six at home. They obviously scored double that uh, on Saturday. Um, but looking from the start, Mark, were you surprised the fact that the formation and shape of the team was pretty much the same as Kilmarnock? Um, there was one change, which was Sean Clare in for Ollie Lee, but it's a what, central midfielder in for a central midfielder. Uh, it was pretty much like for like. And to be honest, from the get-go... It was pretty much just like watching a continuation of the Kilmarnock game. I thought the only difference was we suddenly looked poor defensively and we couldn't even play the ball around in our own half, not even in the final third. So, I don't know, I was a bit shocked that it just we didn't seem to have progressed. In fact, we have seemed to have gone backwards since the previous game. There's only so much I can comment on about this game. I didn't see it because it wasn't shown live on on the website. I've I've seen the goals, that's all. Um, So the only things I can comment on and kind of get your opinion and others who who were there, do we know what Sean Clare's best position is? The confidence factor is really low right now. Um, So... St. Johnston coming up next midweek, but before that, Rangers. Is that the perfect game? I'd probably argue it is because you don't want another defeat or another team that you're not going to score against um, who are not one of the bigger sides. So so maybe Rangers is the better game. But the questions are, Sean Clare, what's his best position? And are we being hypocritical by saying 
having only discussed it two or three weeks ago that Bobby Lamal deserves a run in the team because of what he's done, is it time to to give Doyle a shot between the sticks? Because a goalkeeper low in confidence is not what you want, and it looks just now that that is, that is exactly what he is. I mean, I thought everyone, almost everyone, looks low in confidence, and I think we've we've spoken a few times about how well Jimmy Dunn and Clevy Di Camona have done, considering our main two centre backs are are out injured. I thought, to me, Jimmy Dunn, and obviously you've not seen it, so you have to go with some of my opinion on this. But I thought Jimmy Dunn was maybe the only player who would really get given pass marks. He made a a vital challenge in the first half. I thought he defended reasonably stoutly for most of the game. I, I thought. Dicamona really didn't look anywhere near up for it. Or well, that's not that's wrong. Sorry, he didn't look capable against Smith at all. He was just laden with errors. His performance, his distribution was terrible, and he almost gifted Smith a, a goal in the first half when he got beat into the ball and came back off the bar via Kyle McGinnis with his left foot shot. Um, but at half time, I think Smith would have been slightly happier. The sides. Hearts hadn't really got into it at all. Um, and then to start of the second half, the goal, which was a cracking strike, don't get me wrong, 40 yards out, Adam Hamill, you know, only certain players will be able to even, you know, think about that, especially at this level. But I think where you're going with your Bobby Zlomal comments stems from this goal because most goalkeepers will say they wouldn't want to get beaten by from 40 yards. And it's a ball that does not go into the top left corner at an incredible speed it's up and under I've got to personally I think you've got to question a goalkeeper's position if he's allowing a player to score from that distance against him what was his footwork like because when we see the goal all we see quite rightly so is the hit we don't see where the goalkeeper's starting position is and also his footwork were you able to get any of that I'll be honest, it's one of these goals which I hate as a commentator because I, I, I just came from nowhere. You know, ball into the middle of the park, 40 yards from goal, kind of eyes darting left and right, looking at who's making a run for Hamill. Didn't expect him to hit it. So my first real thought about Slamal was when the ball came flying towards him and the shock that it managed to fly over his head. So I, I'll be honest, I didn't really get a good view of okay. his feet. And, you know, coverage-wise, I've probably seen the same clips as you have hard to really tell but I, I was certainly surprised when Hamill hit it and I was more surprised that when my eyes then moved over to Zlamal that he was in a position because the ball doesn't just go under the crossbar either it doesn't you know just yeah. sneak in that really awkward position it hits the kind of middle of the goal when it hits the net so to me a goalkeeper not being a goalkeeper myself at any point but you think you should be in a better position that the player doesn't even have that opportunity to lob you from that kind of distance. What, what I want to do, if you wouldn't mind, again, we, we don't phone each other up before these and say, well, let's do this or that. Maybe we should. Just, <laughs> a good it, idea. <laughs> yeah, maybe a bit of prep would be would be nice. But so far, this is the way we've done it. So after you've kind of wrapped up on, on St Mirren and before we got on to the correspondence from those uh, who listen to us and thank you um, for all your tweets and everything like that. I just briefly want to go through the players quickly, mm-hmm. and I want to I want to get your your thoughts um, because you watch them week in week out about whether they deserve another chance 
uh, or whether it's time to, to bring somebody else in to, mm -hmm. by, by way of freshening things up. So we'll do that after you've kind of completed your sure. post-mortem post from Paisley. Okay. Well, it's a game with very few clear chances for either side. I think St Mirren certainly edged it. Some of the stats had Hearts as zero shots on target. I think the BBC had one, which was possibly Craig White Whiten's meek attempt, which didn't really look like a shot. Uh, the second goal... I take it you've seen the replay of this. Mm. Yeah, see, this the second goal is probably more annoying than the first because it's just, you know, it's a long ball out to the out wide. Michael Smith thinks McGinnis, who gets it before him. Pretty weak attempt by him to get to the ball. He's beaten to it in the air. Cross comes in. It's not even a good cross, in all honesty. Peter Haring kind of stands and waits for it and dangles a leg out half-heartedly. He's beaten to the ball. And then it falls for Hamill, who just passes it into the corner and no one seems to want to attack the ball and it's coming from wide into the Hearts area. It was, I thought it was really frustrating from a defensive point of view that there's St Mirren touches and there's no Hearts players getting near it at all. Um, and it just it just screams of a team just lacking in any real confidence anyway. Yeah. No one going for it. Um, I suppose there's a couple of incidents which Hearts fans have picked up on after the second goal as well. Arnold Jume's goal. Now, I don't know if you've seen the replay of this one, the one that's disallowed. Um, yeah. There's not very many clear replays, unfortunately, but certainly Arnold Jume is nowhere near being offside. I think that's... You don't have to... You need to have a good angle to see that as he heads the ball in. I think Stephen McLean is offside from the one I saw, and I, I think the assistant didn't have the best game throughout, but that one is tricky because I have to be, say, when I was commentating, I couldn't see who got the flick on the header. When you've seen it in the replay, you can clearly see it's Arnold June, but I'm looking through a couple of other players. Good call, bad call, tricky call? Tricky call. You see it all the time. It's subjectivity. Is the player interfering? Who got the final touch? We've had a look. You've had a look on replays and still aren't quite sure. These guys and girls who run the line with the flags have got one look, and some they get right, some they get wrong, but they're all honest, and there's honest decisions. Um, some that go with you and some that you go against you. I think mean, Craig Levine was talking about the challenge before half time, and he felt it was a red card uh, on McGinnis and, and, and not a yellow card. Again, it depends. A lot, a lot of the times you see a replay and you're like, oh wow, it's different from from how I remember it from from that view. Craig Levine might have had a different view. Well, he did have a different view um, on the McGinnis challenge from referee Craig Thompson. So. It's it's hard, and I, I think it just papers over cracks because this this is a team right now, Hearts, who are great. They're third in the table, but the problem is they've got no goals in them right now. They don't look like they're going to score. They're sorely lacking in confidence. So let's kind of go through this. First of all, do we stick with four at the back when Berra comes back, or do you play a three at the back with Dicamona, Dunn, and Berra, or does Berra come in for Dicamona? Right now, if you were asking me, I I would probably suggest taking Dicamona out and putting Berra okay. in. I think I think Dunn's been a revelation. Yep. As I said, I thought he was probably the only player I would give pass marks to who started the game anyway. Sometimes you, it's hard to be critical of substitutes. Um, certainly the starting eleven, I thought he was the only one who would say he could have he couldn't have done much more. Um, Dicamona, yeah, I thought he. Quite frankly, had a bit of a nightmare against him, but he's had he's had other good games. But I think against him, he okay. really looked off. Right, we're playing we're playing four at the back then. Slamal or Doyle in goal? 
it's a tricky one because I, I think Salamal will be disappointed himself. Bobby will be disappointed when he sees that goal again, which I'm sure he has. He's had a maybe a couple of dodgier moments. He's had that goal against Celtic. Um, but at the same time, I've seen Colin Doyle once for Hearts. I know he's not played for the first team, but it was for the development side, the Colts rather, which they call it now, in the Iron Brew Cup. And he looked a bit dodgy. He chucked, a one, in, chucked one in, basically, um, gifted a goal to Ross County that evening. So I've not seen him again. I don't watch the the Colts side, the the reserves they're called again now. So I, I haven't seen a week in, week out. So that's a hard one for me to make a call on because I thought Colin Doyle on paper looked this more solid signing given what Bradford City fan, fans thought about him given these gets into the Republic of Ireland team. But right now, hard to call. I couldn't say that. I couldn't call that one. Okay, Michael Smith has been steady Eddie. We're, mm-hmm. we're keeping him at, at right back. I think you have to, yeah. A lot of what fans we... don't like him, but yeah, I think he's, like you say, well, we... Solid. What's, your, what, what's your options? I mean, Godinho, maybe, but, but right now, I don't. If Michael Smith is the biggest problem, then I think there's a, a grander problem on the whole. Ben Garuccio or Dimitri Mitchell at left back? It's a hard one because I thought against St. Mirren, uh, we were very weak on our left of defence. And this is possibly to do with the fact that we don't have anyone in front of him, but St. Mirren really tried to capitalise. You, you maybe heard me mention it in commentary that. Um, Paul McGinn, was, who's naturally a fullback, was playing there with uh, Lee Hodson, and Paul McGinn was often the most attacking, the best attacking threat for St Mirren, I thought, especially in the first half, he was getting up and down that right side. And it's possibly because Ben Garuccio's got no one in front of him. So I think you still have to go with Garuccio. I think he's better defensively, and we're coming up against Rangers, who will try and attack us more than other teams will. So I think you've got to stick with Garuccio, but we maybe have to rethink who's ahead of him, which I know you're going to get to. Who's ahead of him? <laughs> Mitchell, maybe we, we, <laughs> because... we've not tried it yet, have we? It's been it's been, it's been Garuccio off, Mitchell on, Mitchell off, Garuccio on, and a lot of people who've mentioned it to me on Twitter. And again, you you guys and girls get to see them every week. I can only see them on TV. I don't think we've tried that and given that an, an opportunity to see if it works yet. Garuccio at left back, just simply because he's, I think, a better defender. But then you would have someone left-footed in front of him in Dimitri Mitchell. So does Dimitri Mitchell get your left midfield spot? Well, the thing is, with Dimitri Mitchell, I've seen him almost entirely at left back for Hearts. He had that odd game against Livingston where Levine put him right midfield, which didn't work at all. But he's very left-footed. And the things that I know about him are that for Manchester United reserves, he was generally a winger down the years. It's recently he's been pushed back to left back more often. Um, The things I can say I know about him from seeing him is he has a very good left foot, he's reasonably fast, and he has quite a good, uh, he has quite good crossing ability. So these are all, I guess, basic things. There's a lot more to football positions than just those type of skills. But to me, he's got the basics there, which you could play left wing, and he's played there a lot going through the different age groups at Manchester United. So I don't see why not. Especially, it's not like we have other players who can play that position ahead of him. We have no one. We basically play without a left-sided midfielder or winger at the moment. So I don't see why not. And one of the things I don't understand, and again, Craig Levine is a football manager. I am not, and I would never claim to be anywhere near that sort of job role. But I don't understand with your last throw of the dice late on in a game that you're losing is to take off one left back and put another left back on. I, I don't. I can't really understand that one at all. Okay. 
Peter Haring, is it time for him to have his op and get him back ready and refreshed for after the winter break? Difficult. Against Rangers, I would possibly say no, because they'll often play with three central players in midfield, depending how you want to see their formation. And having a, a destroyer in there could be useful. So I'd maybe lean towards no, but Bozanic, eh, or not Bozanic, we know it's now Oli Bozanic, can play in that role. I thought he'd look like quite a tidy player. So it just depends on the other options, but I would lean towards keeping him in at the moment for the Rangers okay. game. What is Sean Clare's best position? Right now, probably on the bench. Um, which, and I'm not I'm not one of these people who likes to write players off at all, but he's he's had a handful of games. He clearly doesn't look ready yet. Um, and I think right now is not a good time to have a player who doesn't look ready in the team. Um, the same would probably go for the likes of Craig Whiten. You know, it's sometimes easier to get yourself up to speed and grow in confidence when a team has a bit of confidence, the players around you have a bit of confidence. At the moment, the team doesn't have confidence, and I think Sean Clare in his early stages, he's only had a couple of starts now, a few sub-appearances, I don't think he looks ready for it. So personally, and that's not someone who is writing him off at all, but I would say he's not ready to be starting right now. Okay. Cameroon played Brazil. <laughs> last week yes. in Milton Keynes. Arnold June played left of a diamond in midfield. Would that work for Hearts? It's it's not a system I'm a big fan of. However, at Tynecastle, where there's a small pitch, you could maybe say you can rely on the fullbacks to provide width. Garuccio can do that. And I suppose we do often play Arnold June in a in between central and left midfield role, which is what the diamond position is like. We just don't tend to play the diamond so much. We usually have someone, maybe Morrison on the right. So it, it could work. I think at okay. home, like possibly. Um, Jume's a funny one. You're going to you mention a Jume, and I think he's another one of these players where I think when things are going well for the team and players around him are dragging the team upwards, the likes of Naismiths and Berra, he often shines and shows that he does have quality, and he does have quality. But I often think he doesn't maybe come to the f- come to the floor when you need someone to drag the team up. When players aren't playing well around him, he seems to maybe hide whether he means to or not. So sometimes that's maybe my issue with Jim. He's undoubtedly a really good player. When the chips are down, is he the one who drags those around him by the scruff of the neck and kind of inspires? I don't know if he does. Craig Whiten just needs a goal, and I'm sure he'll kick on from that because that'll do his confidence the world a good. But should he start and try and get that goal, or should he be a player to come off the bench if we need an attacking instinct? I, I think with Whiten, I would say, as I mentioned with Claire, he looks like he doesn't have the confidence. And right now, you'd want to play him when the team are playing well around him and you've got the likes of Naismith to to help him out on the field. At the moment, the team's bereft of confidence. No one is scoring. It's not just Craig Whiten. I would like to, which is contrary to what I said a couple of weeks ago when I wanted to see him given a chance. He's been given a chance. Doesn't look ready. Doesn't look like he's got the confidence. I'd probably say I'd rather take him out just now. Okay. Um, maybe leave McLean up top on his own against Rangers. Get a bit more in the middle of the park because Rangers will look to play the ball around in the middle and they will look to get the likes of Ryan Jack on the ball and our field and plenty of possession. So maybe have more in midfield, maybe Lee, Jume and Haring in the middle. 
possibly. But I, I think Whiten maybe needs to be taken out, especially for a game of the Rangers' magnitude. Callum Morrison hasn't started a game against the old firm this season. Should he? A couple of weeks ago, I would have said definitely yes. He hasn't got involved in the last two games barely at all. I mean, often it's hard to criticise because he didn't see a lot of the ball on Saturday, but he didn't really impose himself. I don't know what the other options are, to be honest. I I would like to see us get a bit of width on the right-hand side. I guess if you play the diamond, you maybe completely rely on Michael Smith, who, who does get forward not too not too badly in games. Morrison, hit or miss. If, if you want to try that diamond, take him out. Give Smith the chance to provide the width. If we're going to play a winger, I think it has to be Morrison because I don't think Mulraney has looked up to it yet. That's kind of answered the next question about Mulraney again. He He's someone, I think, who's going to have to be an impact sub until he can mm-hmm. prove being an impact sub that he deserves mm-hmm. a start. Is it time for Harry Cochran to get a, a, a genuine run in the team? I don't see why not. I, I think the problem with that is, is he is he ready, I suppose, physically? I can only think that's... Well, he was, he, was, he was ready last season and he, he was one of the... I think he was man of the match against Celtic, so... Why is he suddenly not ready when he's a year older than he was? I, I sorry, I should st- establish more. What I mean is more like injury-wise, because he obviously struggled with okay, injuries. Yeah, he was out okay. at the start of the season. Is he 100%? So Harry Cochran has started two games for Hearts this season, but there's a, a bit of a dichotomy um, about the results. Good win in his first start at Dundee, comfortable, 3-0, and then a 5-0 thumping at, at Celtic. So I'm not saying he's, he's the answer. But I am saying that the the kind of definition of idiocy is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And I was kind of surprised at the weekend when Craig Levine, when he'd said he was trying something maybe a little bit different or he'd hoped to, how different was it? That's why I think he might try and surprise Rangers this weekend and maybe throw in someone like a Harry Cochran or, or do something because more of the same on the pitch as far as team selection is concerned is going to equate to more of the same results wise and, and a lack of goals because the confidence levels are really low right now and maybe the introduction of a 17 year old kid is something that not saying we need but it might help us So looking ahead to Rangers, because that's where we're going with this. I mean, Hearts are now five games without a goal, which is their worst run since early 1999, just under 20 years ago. Um, it's only the sixth time in history we've gone this long without a goal. Now, only once has it ever reached six games, which was in March, April 1967. Now, we've got Rangers at home and St. Johnson away next. Uh, we're not going to see uh, an unfortunate record made here, are we? No, I don't think so. I think the Rangers is a good game. I'd rather have Rangers at home first than St. Johnston away first. I think a packed Tyne Castle is the perfect setting. And we're in a slump, don't get me wrong. The players are, aren't confident. And I'm, I'm worried if we lose the opening goal that the heads might just go down. But I've been in this situation before as a Hearts fan where I've gone into games. 
a lot of them have been Edinburgh derbies over the last five, ten years, especially, and thought, I'd take a point and run now. And, and we've been surprised. We've got three points from games that, going into it, we never thought we had a chance of, of winning. Uh, Rangers are playing well right now. They're scoring goals. But this isn't a bad fixture for me. I think... Uh, huh. Would I take two points right now from the two games? No, I wouldn't. Because I think we can beat one or two of the other ones. And if we beat Rangers, which is a big ask, I think I think it just completely changes the whole complexion of that football club. And everyone's walking into training with a bounce in their step and a smile on their face. If we don't, then Stephen Naismith just... <laughs> Please hurry back, because it, it's it's no it's no coincidence. He's our no. talisman. He's our heartbeat. He's our our captain when when Berra was gone, and that has been the biggest blow to Hearts this season. Not Christoph Berra, because we've shown that Jimmy Dunn is is a more than adequate replacement. Um, of course, I don't want Berra Hearts, but the loss of Naismith has been the, the killer for us this season. Definitely, um, I completely agree. Um, I think we've maybe got to try and figure out better ways of, of dealing with his absence. And Rangers, they're not a, they're a side who are unbeaten six games in the league now. They've won seven of the last nine in the Premiership. They scored seven against Motherwell recently. Alfredo Morelos scoring for fun. They've got players full of confidence just now. And Hearts have lost four in a row against them. They've not won in six since Ian Cathro's side thumped them in February 2017, which... Um, that 4-1 win, which was obviously a, a big shot for a lot of people, something like that is what we really need at the moment. And not for a minute am I saying I, I anticipate a 4-1 victory, but it's a game like this. And I was speaking to Craig Fowler of the Scotsman after the game, and we spoke about Rangers. And we're like, this, it could be, like you mentioned, this could be the perfect game because the atmosphere takes care of itself. It's not going to be um, a quiet time castle with... You can hear every shout of every fan getting on the back of the players because it's not going their way. It's going to be red hot. Rangers will have a big crowd there. Then naturally, the Hearts fans will be louder than normal as well. Um, and it's against a side who who won't sit in and just try and let Hearts knock the ball around and try and figure it away through them. Rangers will come at us. And in some ways, that might help us because although we'll have more defending to do, until, uh, until recently, defending's always looked a reasonably solid part of this team they're going to leave spaces at the other side. So although Rangers will come at us and we'll have to think about that, it might be a bit easier for us to then just quickly hit on the break. We were not going to have to try and pass away through this Rangers side if we do get chances to counter-attack. Do you want my team? Yes. 4-3-3. But a really a really tight midfield three. Um, Bobby Slamal in goal. Smith, Dunn, Berra. Hopefully he's back. If not, Di Camona. Garuccio. Then the tight midfield three of Haring, Cochran, and Jim, just in front, Morrison wide right, Mitchell wide left, McLean through the middle. How does that sound? I'll go with that. Okay. I just think it's something different. It introduces Cochran. It advances Mitchell up the pitch. It gives Morrison more of a free role, but you would need defensive work from Morrison and Mitchell when we don't have the ball. It would have to be a 4-5-1 when we didn't have the ball. Yeah. And changing formation and flexibility isn't too difficult. I, I was commentating yesterday on Lazio against AC Milan. Now, AC Milan going forward played a back three. Going back, they played a back four in Calabria 
just dropped in at, at right fullback. So going forward, it would be a 4-3-3. And defending, it would be Mitchell on the left-hand side getting tighter to Garuccio and Morrison. It's a big ask for Morrison, but he needs at this level, he needs to, to be able to stand up and be counted. Morrison would have to help out Smith. But that would give us the three in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I think three good players as well. Haring with Juman Cochran playing around him. Mm-hmm. It would give you a focal point with McLean. And it would give you pace and trickery in attack when we've got the ball. And I, I think if you play a 4-4-2 against Rangers, um, it's not a pitch that you can utilise the width that well because it's it's narrower. I mm-hmm. think this this would solve the problem. It sounds good on paper, Goodness knows how we'll end up. Right, to cheer everyone up a bit, let's stop talking about Hearts um, and how they're playing at the moment. <laughs> and uh, let's talk about some of the other things that we've been uh, discussing on the podcast. Now, um, if you have missed it, then what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago uh, is the fact that we are giving away a copy of the Hearts version of the Taxi board game. Um, so very... Um, Grateful to those who have provided us with this cracking little uh, gift for, I guess it's a good stocking filler, um, something to get the Hearts fans around the table and playing this. Um, But the fun part of it is the fact that the competition is for the listeners or anyone who's interacting with us on social media as it works these days to give us the homework as such. So this is homework that means that you can give us the answers too so trivia it could be some memories about hearts if you've heard previous podcasts you'll know how this goes um so last week we were trying to cram in quite a lot of these and we didn't get through them all and again this week i'm not gonna be able to cover everything because we've had some terrific feedback so big thanks to everyone who has got in touch um so on some of the topics that we did speak about last week i wanted to go through some of the further feedback we've received. So one of the suggestions that we got from Ian White was, have you met Hearts players and were there any interesting situations or conversations that took place? Now, this one's kind of exploded on Twitter and I've had quite a few messages about this. So I'm going to try and run through some of them now. Alistair Dobby says he met Stefan Adam on McLeod Street at around 2am on the 17th of May, 1998. He was all alone and he says they all got down on their knees and said, thank you, Stefan. And he said, no, no, thank you. That was for you. And he said they still got <laughs> they still got goosebumps thinking about it. Well, it's, it's always good if the players say, well, you know, it's thanks, thanks back to the fans. But, I mean, I can't imagine a better player to bump into the in the wee hours of the morning after the cup final in 98 than the man who scored a second goal, Stefan Adam. Well, at least he said thanks because he pissed off to be with Haley when he's staying in my house and never said <laughs> thanks for putting him up for a couple of days. Bed break, got Weetabix in the morning and everything, and then he pissed off to see Haley and ended up with her in Glasgow. Disgrace. If you've not listened to all our previous episodes, <laughs> then um, that'll epi- mean nothing. Episode four, um, Mark talked about the time that Stefan Adam um, stayed at his just so he could basically. Um, try and get off with uh, one someone at fourth was it at the time you said yeah nice sales girl okay. and he used me <laughs> I, I, I felt dirty I was used <laughs> and abused <laughs> Ross Marshall actually also in Stefan Adam says he met Stefan when he was about 15 or 16 his mate used to deliver bags of logs and charcoal and Adam was one of the customers 
He said he ripped his page out of his heart's calendar and sheepishly, sheepishly asked if he'd sign it. Being the jet that he is, he was only too happy to oblige. So, um, did Haley say if if Stefan was a gentleman? <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on. Um, Ryan Moffat says he met Kenny Anderson one night up uptown, and having had a few, he told him everyone might think you're shite, but I rate you. And then he's then he's given me a. A face palming and tears of laughter um, emojis with that. So, I am not gonna. I'm not gonna lie here. I've just typed in Kenny Anderson hearts and thinking, is that that Dutch guy? Yes, and it is, isn't it? It, it is, never, yeah. never, it never really worked. No, did didn't it? didn't work at all. Ryan Moffat was completely wrong, but we'll let him off because he'd had a few. Um, Tenacious T says Jamie Walker used to get the same bus. Um, as as them on Calder Road when he went to training up at Rickerton and and Tenacious T was going to work. Tenacious T. Tenacious T. Yeah. Did 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 Mister and Missus T, <laughs> like Mister T, who ain't getting no plane full? Did they, did they give birth and decide to call their son Tenacious? Is is that how that? I don't think that's the real name. I, I just a, guess. Just a it, guess. It's just a Twitter name. Um, Billy Steedman says John coming in New Mains one Friday night asked. Him and his brother, where he could get a taxi, starstruck, he pointed them in the direction, shouting at him, you're John Cumming. Aye, lads, he replied, with a thumbs up, and off he went. <laughs> I love I, I love the fact, two things. One, that those of yesteryear, certainly in the 50s and 60s, the most polite people, and just loved being recognised or whatever. And two, <laughs> when someone goes up to someone and says, you're such and such... <laughs> I know. <laughs> what, what, are you, what are you meant to say? I mean, what, what else can you say? No, I'm not. I are. And then <laughs> you just, no. I mean, it usually involves drunk people who do that. Amaruso lets it run, uh, which is a Twitter account. Good Twitter account as well to follow. They've got terrific uh, video clips down years from Hearts Game. Says he met Larry Kingston Cav nightclub many years ago. He was very alarmed when I attempted to show him my heart's tattoo. Uh, that that could completely depend on where that tattoo is. Um, <laughs> he, he said he had a few chats with ex-players for radio and podcast, but those chats have already filled column inches. But yeah, I, I, I suppose it depends. If you've got a heart's tattoo on your arm, and I guess if you suddenly pull your sleeve up, it's one thing. But if you've got a heart's tattoo maybe on, I don't know, your backside, if you suddenly try and whip that out, then that... I could see why a player could get a bit taken aback. I think it's only fair, given you mentioned Larry Kingston, that I read out a WhatsApp message you sent me earlier today. <laughs> yes, I know which one. Ex-non-striker Shiva Nzigu has revealed that he's five years older than claimed 41, <laughs> not 36. Now, that was when I thought of Larry Kingston, as mm -hmm. you did. Not this part. Shiva, <laughs> in, we, oh, whoa, we're not making any assertions here. This is a continuation of the ex-non striker Shiva Nzigu claiming he's not 36 anymore, he's actually 41. He also revealed that he has slept with his aunt and his sister and that his father killed his mother as a spiritual sacrifice designed to keep all money made from his son's contracts. Hmm. Did it, did it work? That's what I would like to know. But maybe I don't know, something. but we're not asserting or assuming or saying anything about Larry Kingston doing or his bedtime habits. We're just saying that Larry Kingston, what did we say, has just turned 38? 
maybe a bit like Shiva and Zigu. If, if someone said he was 43, I don't think there'd be any questions asked. <laughs> Joel Scared, who um, writes for the Scotsman, said he once met his hero, Mauricio Pania, in the George Street establishment, formerly known as Est Est Est. Now, yes. yes, oh my many goodness, ago. Me. Um, <sighs> he says all he's left with is this grainy picture, and I have retweeted that on the Scarves Around the Funnel. Uh, Twitter page. It does look like it's a photo taken on a potato by um, Joel Sked, but there's one with Mauricio, who I'm sure probably found himself in many George Street establishments down the years. Um, <laughs> so I'm sure there's many photos from Hearts fans with him. If you've got a photo with Mauricio Padilla from a George Street establishment, then you know feel free to share it. Let's see. Matthew Leslie said he met a lot of players in a professional capacity as a journalist. However, being an anti-Niemi's Range Rover as he's head-banging to some quality heavy metal was something else. Um, which <laughs> which was interesting. I did I, I did ask him to, an elab- to elaborate, and he said it was after training. Um, but uh, anti-Niemi, I, I always, he never struck me as a type who would like heavy metal and would be head-banging, but I guess you, you, you never can tell just from... Yeah. Seeing players and, and hearing them do interviews, I guess, what they're they're like or what they Terry, do like. Terry Butcher is a big heavy metal fan really? as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, Paul Mariner is too. And I, I remember a couple of years ago, Paul Mariner came around the office and said, does anybody want to go to see Deep Purple? And we're like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm busy that night. He goes, I've not even told you what night it is. And... I, I ended up going. I said no to begin with. And he, he, he texts me. He goes, look, I've got these two tickets. Do you want to come? I said, yeah, why not? So they were playing locally in Connecticut. So I went with them. And we were chatting on the way down. And I didn't know that Ian Gillen, who is the Deep Purple lead singer, is Paul Mariner's best mate. From when Paul was playing with Ipswich back in the day, when they won the UEFA Cup under Bobby Robson and the likes. And Big Butcher was there too. And uh, Alan Brazil and the stories you could tell. So he got to know him very well from his time at Ipswich. And it was around about the time that um, my father-in-law was in hospital recovering from cancer. And we were just chatting away. And Ian Gillen was the nicest guy. And he was, rather than kind of this star-struck guy and just dismissive of everybody, he was interesting. And, and he, he said he wanted to ask questions. and wanted to know about my family and everything like that. And I told him about my father-in-law. And he said, start, start your video on your phone. I was like, okay. So I, I videoed him and, and Mariner. And he, I, my father-in-law is a massive Deep Purple fan because I was explaining this to him. And that's how we got about the fact that he was in hospital and, and Ian Gillen said, start the video. And he gave me a minute of him saying about my father-in-law, I hope you get better soon. And it was just such a nice thing to do. My father-in-law thankfully recovered um, from uh, cancer and he's all right now. And, and Ian Gillen just seemed like the guy when you were in his company who couldn't believe that at his age and after all he'd done, that people were still interested in what he did, who he was, and it meant things to him that people still turned up at his gigs as opposed to these youngsters nowadays who've got no idea, basically. But it just shows you, we were talking earlier about your Dave McKay's and your people like that, the older generation, I think we could learn a lot from them. I know we've kind of gone off tangent and have removed the kind of humor aspect from it, but there's a lot to be said about the older generation and what they can still do and, and provide. I thought that was a nice little touch. Anyway, that segued nicely or not nicely from um, musical uh, footballers from Antti Niemi headbanging in a car. 
John Cahoon gets mentioned by a few. Um, King Fuggy, which is at Fugs Life. You're, you, you're going to hate these Twitter <laughs> handles, aren't you? Um, especially since well, we're quite boring. I'm at Laurie Dunsay, and I think you're Donaldson ESPN, aren't you? Mm-hmm. We've, we've got no imagination with our Twitter handles. Um, well, he said he cleans John Cahoon's cars. Lovely fella, and has a vast array of biscuits. Um, <laughs> I love that tweet. <laughs> <laughs> I love that tweet. I know we've got a lot of homework kind of ongoing right now, um, but there was one thing I wanted to try and get in, just as an aside, and it's to do with kind of players, ex-players or current players that you might have met. Have you got anything that they have given to you or you have stolen from them over the years? And the reason I ask is because uh, one of my favorite people who's been gone for far too long now, Tom Wilson, the former DJ at Radio 4th, bought Dave McPherson's old car from Dave. And I think it was through Ninian Cassidy, who was Jim Jeffries' uh, big friend, and they, they still are. And he had Scotia cars in Esk Bank. And he got the car from McPherson and phoned up Tom because he knew he was a big Dave McPherson fan. So so Tom bought this car and one day he told the story it was sunny so he put the sun visor down and he didn't realise there was a lock of Dave McPherson's hair <laughs> in the sun visor. That is good. Honestly, it's, it's so sad. We, it's Scott Wilson's brother, Tom, and we, I'd love to be able to ask Tom the question. As to never mind the fact he kept that and refused to go anywhere unless the lock of hair was in the car. <laughs> but it's so many questions to be asked. How did it get there? Why was it there? And I mean, I wonder, there's no way Dave McPherson would remember, but have you got anything from a former player or have you stolen anything or borrowed from a former Hearts player? I've got some that I can add here because some okay. people have actually talked about this. Vic oh, says. Cool. Vic says, as a 10-year-old, he sat next to Jim Cruikshank on the bus making his way to Haymarket. Um, neither of them said a word, but he picked up his discarded betting slip after he got off the bus, <laughs> and he kept it for about 20 years. The big, so, the, big, the big question is, did Jim Cruikshank pay his tax on his bet? Because uh, you're probably too young about this, but I remember going to the betting s- stores when I was younger. You had a choice. You paid the tax. I think it was like nine pence per pound. If you paid it at the time, you didn't get it taken off your winnings. But if you didn't win, you didn't get your tax back. Did Jim Cruikshank pay the tax on that bet? Ian Auld says he never forgets the time that Paddy Kisnormal bought a Kisnorbo, if I can get that out, bought him a shot in Edwards. He decided to keep the shot glass as a memento, <laughs> but but sat on it by accident in the taxi oh, later. No. Plastic shot glass, by the way, he said. At first, oh, okay. I, at first I was like, oh, geez, that could be extremely painful. But um, yeah, there you go. So keeping a shot glass. Ewan Fleming says Gary Mackay once rang his doorbell to deliver flowers to his wife. Saying that sentence screws me up to this very day. Uh, <laughs> Whoa, <I> rewind. <laughs> Say that again. Ewan Fleming, I'll read out how he writes it. Gary Mackay once rang my doorbell to deliver flowers to my wife. <laughs> Saying that sentence screws me up to this very day. Uh, Ewan, I would like to know ex- some more about that story. I don't think I've asked you on Twitter in response yet, so tell us more. Um, what what was going on here and this is possibly my favorite one um 
that we received. <laughs> if I can, not that one, but this one I'm about to read out. Ian Greenhill says that John Robertson squared up to me when I was 14 because I threatened to batter his son after he threw a stone at my sister's head. I ran away. I ran away. Um, someone then asked him, basically, to elaborate, and he said. It was his son, Liam. He's a lovely guy as well. It all culminated in me fighting his other son at a bus stop. Um, what? <laughs> so, um, yeah, that would... I just read that one and started laughing. It was just bizarre. Who, who was that from? Ian Greenhill. Uh, he, he, has Ian ever been to anger management classes? <laughs> I don't wow. <laughs> just picking fights on people. I'm still, I'm still, I'm still intrigued about the whole Gary Mackay delivering flowers. To the to the lad's wife, that 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 was not in the book, and and neither was the fact that <laughs> maybe I shouldn't sell saw it. Um, <laughs> shortly after Gary got divorced, his uh, lovely wife slash ex wife was a caregiver, and I believe that the lady or the person that Gary's wife was caring for. Uh, died and left Gary's ex-wife an absolute fortune in the will. And that was shortly after Gary had finalised the divorce. I think that's true. If it's not, it wasn't me that said it, and I've got no interest in any legal proceedings. Uh, PMACMI5, I think, is the Twitter handle. I wish people would just have their regular names. It makes it a lot easier. It's like Hawksby and Jacob's Clips of the Week. Oh, we've got, uh, this one's been submitted by IP Squint. No, <laughs> it's like the Simpsons and Bart and Lisa calling Moe's Tavern. Come on, boys and girls, let's have John Smith and whatever your name is on Twitter. Yeah, it's, when you, it's the names you give to this the substitute teacher. When, <laughs> who, who doesn't know? My, my favourite one My favorite one was always Eric Sean. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't jump out as being rude until they said it quickly to me. Um, I bet he was. I bet he was stuck up. Do, do we? Uh, do we have an Eric? Do we have an Eric Sean in the class right now? <laughs> Stop! <clears throat> well, this is just disintegrated. I know. Come sorry. on. Uh, I was the reason I was talking about P Mac M I five was he said Gary Mackay, um, as a wee kid, his folks used to live a couple of doors down from us. He gave me a row for sitting on his BMW, but then had a kickabout with us and gave us heart stickers. And it's probably why I'm a jambo, he says. So there you go. Yeah, and I, and I, I think, without knowing him, her, whoever, um, I think they must have lived up near uh, Gogor Bank, near the RBS building, because that's where uh, Gary's folks stayed. Lovely couple. So I've got heaps more on that subject, but I'm going to have to quickly move on because time is working against us and we have had some terrific um, bits of feedback on that subject. And I'll probably run over a few more because, you know, we've we've got a lot of different strands going on at the moment with the podcast. But quickly, uh, Best Opposition Players, which was also one that was mentioned and we, we were kind of putting together a team of sorts. I'd mentioned Raphael van der Vaart as one of the best opposition players I'd seen against Hearts. And Lewis McKenzie and Jamie Devlin both also mentioned him. Uh, Daniel Wales also picked out Jermaine Defoe from that Spurs team that hammered Hearts at Tynecastle. Uh, your friend Tenacious T mentions uh, Brian Loudrup, as does mm-hmm. Whitburn Hearts. And although Loudrup is probably one who I didn't see maybe the best of from when I started going to games, he's a player that I know very well. G also added... Andre Kanchelskis, um, 
Cheesemeister said York Alberts, saying he loved a goal against Hearts. Usually, I would say, this is me adding this, usually with about 10 deflections, I always felt like when he scored against us. Um, Andrew says Adam Hamill, um, which I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take with a pinch of salt. Um, <laughs> Hearts Museum, this is an interesting one, said collectively the Hamburg side that won 4-1 at Tynecastle in season 76-77 and 8-3 on aggregate. He said they received a standing ovation um, after the game from the home support. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not actually, I had a quick look at the team. Um, the only player I recognised was Felix Magat, and not from playing. The fact he scored two that night and obviously went on to manage quite a few teams, including Fulham, but not a, not a team that I would recognise. It's before both of our time. Um, Big C, 1874, says Gareth, Gareth Bale and the guy who scored the 40-yard screamer for Bordeaux, yes, uh, Riera, who we talked about last time as well. Um, Alan Meikle said Gascoigne by a country mile. Yeah. Um, which probably not many would argue with. Stuart also told us Jim Baxter, obviously before our time, but a player that uh, most Scottish football fans will know the name of very well. And Twee says Larson. What was, what was that? It sounded <laughs> like you were at a fairground. Sorry, about? their Twitter handle was TW and then lots oh, of E's. Okay. So I, gotcha. I don't know how else to say it. Twee! Um says Larson, who who I'd also mentioned. So uh, we need more defenders. We need defenders and a, and a goalkeeper, I think, because we've got the likes of Larson. i tell you someone who was absolutely outstanding in his day, and, and he played for Bayern Munich, and my goodness, he had a shot on him. Klaus Augenthaler. And he got the opening goal in Munich um, to equalise. In, in, in Bayern versus in Munich, <laughs> Alan McAnally. Uh, he was a, a fantastic player. Uh, unfortunately, a former Chelsea player, Erland Jonsson, also got a, a second player, but he was he was up there. He was a right top player, um, Klaus Augenthaler. And he was he wasn't in the I mean, he was thirty one when he played against Hearts, but he was he was top drawer. So there have been plenty of good players who've played against Hearts. So keep them coming in. I think it would be good at some point for us to try and figure out an eleven. But if you can think of defenders or goalkeepers who have played against Hearts, the, the best opposition players. You know, give us some of those if you can. Um, so we're going to have to speed on with some of these. So I'd say the things we're still looking for feedback on, um, best moments in the stands, best irrelevant Hearts goal, uh, most random players to get international call-ups, and who has the best international win ratio is the question which I'm about to move on to and ask for people to maybe take a stab in the dark at guessing. We asked this last time, who would have the best win ratio for having international caps with Hearts? Um, And Hearts Museum have kindly given me a list of everyone who's had more than three caps. Uh, So do you, you, can you think you'd take a stab at who it might be? I don't know yet. I don't know. No, No. I I can't. I don't want to. I think we've taken up about three hours so far of your time. So let's, let's speed this along a little bit. We have some new questions that I'd like to put out there as well, and I'm not going to go into Mark or my thoughts on it yet because time is obviously against us. Gordon Stitt says, your best 11 from the last three Scottish Cup final victories, so 98, 2006 and 2012, which I think is a good question question. and a tough one. So I'll put it out there. So have a think about that and give us your feedback. So best 11 from the three Scottish Cup final victories. 
Andy Grant, uh, the greatest 90 minutes you've ever seen from a Hearts player, which I think would be quite a good one as well. Yeah, Neil, Neil McCann, Coca-Cola Cup final. I think he moved, that clinched his move to Rangers, mm-hmm. I think. He was just unplayable that day. Uh, taxi board game, actually commented to Andy Grant saying that performance, that very performance. Mm. Uh, he got man of the match, actually, which is impressive in a losing cup final team. Catch-22, always Gorgie. He said the best travel to an away game. He said he's heard of people getting a bus to Bosnia, three flights to Tallinn. He said personally his would be Tallinn, six hours in Helsinki Airport, practically remortgaged the house for that. Uh, and a Hearts fan fell asleep in the loo and missed the flight. So I thought that was a good one. Your best travel to an away game, most memorable travel or trip to an away game. Finally, we've got Kelman Chambers, who got in touch on the website, who said, homework after the cult zeros and what could have been. How about who or who the beep players we signed and everyone asked who they were or why we'd signed them and they went on to be great. He said, Paul Hart and Gilles oh. Rousset examples. Oh. I, I was, uh, if you'd not included the bit about, and they went on to be great, I could have put <laughs> Husrev Musimic in that one. And again, there's, I'm a good friend of Wallace Mercer's son, Ian, and there is some doubt they signed the wrong guy, but no one would ever admit that, whether it was <laughs> Husrev's brother that they meant to sign, and they got some postman from Yugoslavia or, or whatever. <laughs> Because he did all right. I think he scored in one of his his, other, his debut. I think it might have been his debut against Hibs at Tynecastle. We won one nil, but that was it. That was as high as that got because he was honking. So I think that'll do for now. We've we've obviously <laughs> went through a lot of things, but as one that I've 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 noticed as we've been on air, which I want to mention, which is is possibly going to be up there with the story about Gary Mackay bringing flowers to. Someone's wife, and we can't figure it out. Kenny Cameron, um, a nice normal Twitter handle, thanks Kenny, says he once hid from his ex-wife in Craig Levine's car. And, uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> so, <laughs> I, again, I, I'd love to hear more about this. You know, why were you hiding, and how did you end up in, in Craig Levine's car? What what car was Craig Levine driving? Oh, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to. I'd have to ask more questions. I think to find out. But um, yeah. So some some interesting bits of feedback. We'll, we'll say <laughs> we have been left with a number of questions asked and very few answers. This has been probably the most diverse last twenty minutes of a podcast that we've done. And given the standard that had already been set, that's pretty good going. So yeah, Kenny, if if you can tell us why you were hiding for your wife, what kind of car Craig Levine was driving and and why he let, assuming he let you hide in it, I mean, maybe you don't want, maybe Craig Levine's still looking for the guy who broke into his car, I don't know. And, uh, of course, if we could find out why Gary Mackay was delivering flowers to Ewan Fleming's wife, um, we'd love to know, was it from Gary Mackay? Or, I, I can't figure out why else... Gary McKay didn't moonlight as a flower <laughs> delivery driver, did he? <laughs> did he? I mean, my my mind is racing right now. Do these two wives know each other? The one that the guy was hiding from, and the one who had flowers delivered. Is there a connection there? Is it the same person? Because mm, you know, <laughs> Gary McKay and Craig Levine have never had the best relationship over the years. <laughs> that's that's a true story. I know that for a fact. Oh goodness. 
Um, that would open up a whole other can of worms. Oh, let's not let's not go there this week. Maybe maybe go there <laughs> next week. About the time at Alan Ray's testimonial lunch. Yeah, we'll we'll leave that for next week. Oh my goodness. We'll leave we'll leave that for the for the X-rated version of <laughs> Scarves Around the Funnel after um, dark. But anyway, well, <laughs> when we find out what's going on with everyone' wives and and whatnot, then we'll maybe let you know next time. But. Uh, it's been an interesting show, Mark. We've had a lot in there, and hopefully, it sparks even more um, feedback and, and conversation for next time. I need to lie down. Yeah, I, I, we've and I, this is without even thinking about where on earth hearts are going to get a goal from. But of course, get in touch with us at Around the Funnel um, and www.scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk, or you can email us uh, to podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel. .co.uk. Uh, but from both of us, uh, we hope you've managed to last up until this point, and um, <laughs> we'll get editing. We'll speak to you next time. Bye.